arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Oh, Mr. Janice, just one more thing, please. I thought you had a clock to punch. I do, I'm leaving right now. It's about Mrs. Stafford. I understand that you and she had a little disagreement in a restaurant last night. Have you been following me, Colombo? No. What happened was this. Mrs. Stafford came down to headquarters this morning. She spoke to some of the fellows in the other division. What other division? Bunko. Bunko? Yes. Made a lot of wild accusations about you, about your operation. Now it's clear Mrs. Stafford is a very inexperienced businesswoman. How's that, Lieutenant? The way you run your business operation. I spoke to Mr. Lacey. He's somewhat of an expert on business. And I suppose he called me a crook. No, sir, he never said that. He said then, he repeated this. He said technically you're within the law. Of course, I can understand how Mrs. Stafford, and even Mr. Stafford, how they could get upset over some of the things that are going on around here. That's enough, Colombo. I'm tired of your accusations and your innuendos. Well, all I'm trying to do is determine the facts, sir. If you have anything to say to me, you say it through my attorney. Is that clear? Yes, sir. And be damn sure you know what you're talking about. What I like about Lieutenant Colombo is when he looks the killer right in the eye and says just one more thing. And then you can hear in this sequence with Robert Conrad, the killer becomes furious. Now, I'm not saying that's what happens in this Jones story, the death of Dr. Povich, but maybe it does. Jones confronts Duff Davis right in L.G. Bentley's office. And something about Fred Dempsey's van radio bothers Jones. And where is Professor McIntyre? The whole final scenario takes place with Bucky and company at the observatory. Episode 5 of The Strange Death of Dr. Povich wraps up starting right now. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 25 LG, a long cigar propped in his mouth, emerged from his office and closed the frosted door gently. He took off his coat and threw it onto the leather chair. Then he lit the cigar and faced Jones. Matthias, uh... Duff has agreed to talk to you, but I really don't know what good it's going to do. Did he kill Tammy or didn't he? He claims he was at his dorm. Yeah, he claimed that when Povich was poisoned, too. LG sat on his desk. Confidentially, I never would have pegged Tammy as a murderer. That's the whole point, LG. She sends Gallagher over to the supermarket and then gets him away from the cart, switches the lettuce, and leaves. And if the page routine didn't work, I'm sure she had other plans. Jones rolled his eyes. But she's dead, isn't she, LG? He could have killed her. He says he was home. I think he could have done it. He could have stolen Jim's watch from the rectory. Witnesses put him there anyway. And then he framed Gallagher at the quarries. LG stood and pointed the cigar at Jones. That isn't why he was there. Then why was he there? I'll let him speak for himself, with my supervision, of course. 
Yeah, of course, said Jones, moving toward the window overlooking the common. The rich cigar smoke saturated the office air. Fred Dempsey's maroon van was parked less than a hundred yards away across the snow. Jones looked more closely. Fred sat in the driver's seat, and the window was cranked down halfway in the cold air near the boutique hair salon. I don't like that either. What? LG held his cigar in hand and moved across the room. Out there, I don't like the way Fred Dempsey is parked directly across from your office. Duff thinks Fred killed Povich, or I should say, had Tammy do the deed. Jones turned from the window. Believe me, I've thought about all the scenarios, but I just don't see how he could make her do it. Unless he was the boyfriend. Jones's grin developed into a full laugh. Fred? Come on. LG opened his office door and motioned Jones inside. When Jones rounded the corner, a dejected Duff sat on the couch, looking out the huge pane window toward Fred's van. Duff, uh, Coach Jones is right here. Duff didn't look at Jones. There he is, gentlemen. Professor Fred Dempsey, soon to take the reins of the astronomy department. What do you think he did? Ordered Povich's death? Asked Jones in a low voice. I can't prove it. I can't say she was in love with him. That would be sufficient cause. Maybe he promised her who knows what. He means Tammy, said LG. Jones nodded. Fred was still parked across the common. Coach, there are no answers. Sometimes you just can't find the truth. Jones moved up to the couch and put his hand on Duff's shoulder. When there was a party at Povich's house, was Tammy close to Professor McIntyre? Well, Elsie would have killed Povich herself. She didn't like complications, and she was too insistent about what she wanted. I don't know why she's missing, but she could have done it. Fred Dempsey used Tammy. He must have. Let's cut to the chase. What about you, Duff? Duff continued to look outside. It's true about my drug problem, Coach, and it's true Povich was about to talk to Dean Kent. And that would have ruined everything for me. You don't have to talk about this stuff, said LG. And it's true. I was at the rectory after four. Did Elsie McIntyre drive you over? asked Jones. Duff looked at LG. Mr. Bentley? Well, did she? Yes, she did. Ha, ah, no surprise, said Jones. Do you think she set you up? Why would she drive you over? I saw her on campus. I talked to her about Dr. Povich's dinner with Father Gallagher, and I just told her how bad I felt about my problem, how I let the doctor down. And she said she'd drive me over because she was going to an art show in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's the same story, said LG. She was late and had to hurry, but she would drive me over before she got on the highway. That's when I called you to pick me up at the Hannibal Mall. Jones fell back in the chair and put his hands over his eyes as he tried to piece it all together. But she dropped you off two blocks from the rectory. That's damned incriminating, Duff. She said she didn't want Povich to think she was taking sides. What a viper, said Jones, his hands still over his eyes. He opened his lids and focused on LG near the frosted glass door. She could have put her little student up to this. Well, convincing somebody to commit murder requires some doing. LG set the cigar in the silver floor ashtray. There's no motive for Tammy Welch to be murdering Dr. Povich. And where the hell is McIntyre anyway? asked Jones. Gone with the art and the money, said LG. That money could have been diverted or promised to Tammy, said Duff. 
I don't think Tammy was in this for the money. I keep coming back to her arrangements with the boyfriend and the owner of the inn in Maine. The owner's in hiding because it links it to him. Duff raised his index finger and his eyes were moist. Coach, I never went up there. The people in the inn should be able to tell you that. Fred Dempsey is the one. He has to be Jay Wasserman, the boyfriend who signed in at the Gorton Inn. On what basis do you think it was Fred? I keep coming back to that, Duff, and I'm sorry. On that basis that I just feel like he let her into it and then killed her. I, I, I have no proof. Jones threw his hands into the air. Where are those notebooks? Notebooks, coach? Oh, a possible link between Fred and Povich's work. He may have used the data. Duff turned from the window and thought, he's always been too busy to talk to me about what he's doing with his book, and frankly, I have my own problems. If you think he used Dr. Povich's work, then go get him. Jones held his shoulder again. I'll do what I can. He followed LG out of the office, and LG slowly closed the door. Obviously, the killer was no fool. You're going to have to prove whatever assumptions you may have, Matthias, because the pickings are slim. Jones looked out the window. Fred's van was still parked across the common near the boutique. I want to know why the hell Fred is parked out there right now while we're in here. LG followed him to the stairway door. You need a motive, Matthias. You just don't need anyone on the murder scene because Tammy Welch poisoned the lettuce. But you, my friend, also have to demonstrate complicity. Those notebooks are critical. Yeah, critical. Jones opened the hallway door and stepped onto the old wood landing. Nobody is ever that clever, LG. Even the most accomplished liars let things slip through. Hiding criminals make mistakes. Murderers slip up. Nice speech, Matthias he said, pretending to clap. Oh, very funny, LG. Jones bounded down the old creaky wide wooden stairs, moist with the melted snow. He thought about Bucky leaving Maine with the notebooks. That evidence could prove whether Fred had traveled to Maine on the weekends and Mrs. Dempsey would verify any trips away from home. He opened the tall glass doors and looked outside. Fred's van turned downtown. Oh, no. Jones pushed open the door and stepped onto the bare sidewalk. He slid up his parka hood. Fred's van headed back toward the college. As he hurried back to his jeep across the common, Bucky Driscoll's little car slid to a stop next to the snowbank. Bucky leaned out the window. Big band melodies almost drowned out his voice. Am I late? I heard you were talking to Jeff Davis, coach. Yeah, day late and a dollar short, said Jones, racing around the hood. Dollar? Do I owe you money? Jones pulled at the door, but it was still secured with the rope. He retreated around the hood and yanked the driver's side door open. Bucky peeled back the duct tape on the lock and stepped from the car. Jones slid across the seat and turned down the music. That isn't even a clear signal. Bucky got behind the wheel. That's that station up in Maine. Nobody plays the big band music around here anymore. Or at least not at that volume. What's the matter? Don't you like Big Band? Asked Bucky. I like it just fine. You, you can be a real nudge, Bucky. Where are we going? Science building. Coco said you were going to talk to Duff Davis. I guess that clears him. Now that you've solved the case, congratulations. Bucky, get me to the science building. Bucky pulled into traffic and put on his blinker. And I haven't solved anything. Wow, come on. Tammy killed Povich. Ball game over. Bucky started down Hamilton Street along the snow-covered football field. 
I'm going to need that guest book and Povich's two notebooks. For what? For what? He asked, gripping the wheel with one hand, and he talked to Jones as he drove. Jones looked to his left. Bucky, where are those notebooks? Bucky's lower teeth jutted out and his eyes were heavy. Oh, I deep-sixed them once you solved the case. You what? Jones slammed his fist into the dash. Where? Let's get them now. That's the only link to Tammy's boyfriend. Ah, who cares about the boyfriend now? You, you, yeah, you don't have to get upset, said Bucky. Yeah, I have to get upset. Are they in your trash? Oh, no, he said, pulling into the science building parking lot. I wanted to make damn sure I didn't get into trouble for lifting evidence. <laughs> I'm not the stooge you think I am. Don't sell yourself short. Where are the notebooks? I burned them in Maine. Oh, tell me it's not true. Jones closed his eyes as the car came to a stop. He ran his fingers down his face as the heater blasted hot air from the dash. Without looking at Bucky, he opened the door. His fist was cocked as he walked directly for the entry doors. Once inside the heated building, he pushed the elevator button for the sixth floor, but Bucky's stupidity catalyzed his thoughts. By sifting through Povich's notebooks and jotting notes in the relevant sections, Fred Dempsey could have used the doctor's work in his own book. Maybe Povich found out about it. The elevator hummed upward, and Jones quickly thought about the music in Bucky's car, and he shook his head. Then he pictured Bucky at the Mount Polaris gate at the night of Povich's murder and how he lost the key to the chain. He closed his eyes and could vividly see Bucky hacking away at the chain with the sledgehammer, eventually smashing Fred's headlight. The elevator slowed at the fourth floor and the door quickly opened. What a stupid bonehead. Excuse me? asked one of the professors as he walked inside. No, I was, I was thinking of something else. Is this elevator going down? No, it's going up. I'll wait. He walked back outside. Then wait. The doors closed and his mind returned to Mount Polaris. Fred had been patient about the damage to his car. He had sat with Jones and Duff in the van while Bucky kept hacking. Each detail crossed his mind. Fred's radio was stuck on that same Portland station Bucky had played in the campus security car. Yet Fred had quickly switched the dial. Maybe that was only coincidence, but it could mean that Fred had traveled to Portland, and the mileage on his odometer was close to the distance between Hamilton and Portland. The sixth-floor doors opened and Jones walked into the darkened corridor. Fred's office was across from Povich's old office near the large glass span at the end of the corridor. Jones took a deep breath and started toward the glass. Again, he wondered about the notebooks. Povich would have found out about the pilfered work, or maybe he had found out. Jones was just not sure, and he was not sure whether he was pushing his theories too far down the side road. He looked across the campus to the snow-coated football field and the gym. Then he stepped forward. Fred was in front of a computer in his office. Fred! Fred's mind seemed frozen before the screen. Then he turned, but a few seconds passed before he smiled. Hey, Matthias! Mind if I come in, Fred? Sure, sure, come. He stood and extended his hands. I have to admire you solving Sergi's murder so fast. Oh, who would have thought Tammy Welch would poison Sergi? Your father Gallagher must be relieved. I thought because of the stolen art and the bank problems that Elsie might have done it. She's still at large and may be guilty of other crimes, said Jones. What are you working on? Oh, I'm still double-checking things for the book. 
He sat and faced the screen. The textbook. Well, a supplemental book. Orders are already coming in. My objective was merely to fulfill my requirement to the college and publish an ongoing work. I thought a local press would pick this up, but Ruggle House really wanted it. I only wish Sergi was around to see the project nearing completion. Deadlines sure put the pressure on. Now that he's gone, Fred, you'll probably be appointed head of the department. It's a tough act to follow. Sergi was a brilliant man. I learned so much. Cepheid variables. That's right. Perhaps we can finish the tour of the observatory sometime and you can observe the phenomenon through the telescope. Fred, the murder investigation is not over. Well, of course it is. You have a murderer on tape. Did you know Tammy Walsh? He faced the monitor and started typing on the keyboard. Yes, she was a student of Professor McIntyre. My wife and I saw her at many of the Povich parties. She was the sweetest little thing. If they didn't have that security camera recording her, I would have refused to believe she was capable of such a thing. Jones nodded. Why did Fred play that Portland station? It must have been on when he left Maine. Who put her up to it, Fred? Oh, what makes you think somebody put her up to it? Because she was a sweet little thing. Fred turned quickly, his fingers still on the board. I don't know who put her up to it. And what do you know about Povich's notebooks? Notebooks! Fred's tone was sharper. What are you getting at? Did you use any of his notebooks? That's my question, Fred. Jones planted his feet on the floor. Why would I need his notebooks? To write your book. Well, I've spent years on this book. He was in the hospital. Everyone thought he was going to die. How convenient. Fred smiled and shook his head. I know you have to look into everybody, but you can check with Rugglehouse. This project was begun long before Sergi got sick. Do you have your raw notes? Sure, but what you're saying makes no sense. Ever been to Portland, Fred? I don't like the way this line of questioning is going, Matthias. Jones raised his brows, and with a slight smile, he stepped toward Fred. I have to check every suspicion. Well, you need to show your friends a little courtesy. Jones moved back into the hall as Fred kept speaking. And I don't have to listen to questions from you. You're not the police. And I'm hardly insulted you'd say anything about me pilfering Sergi's work. That is a dumb assumption, Matthias. Yeah, about as dumb as you're listening to that Portland radio station on the night of Povich's murder. What did you do, Fred? Spend the weekend with her in Maine and convince her to spike the lettuce with her father's medication? Shut up. Oh, shut up, Mr. Wasserman. Fred stared at the computer and hit the keys hard. If you're Wasserman, Fred, then you'd better start thinking about getting an attorney. Matthias, he said, typing, I don't know what you're talking about. Now I'm busy with my work. Very well. As he entered the corridor, Jones was unsure if Fred was involved with Tammy Welch. He walked down to the elevator doors and pushed the button. For an innocent man, Fred was getting testy. Jones turned and stared toward Fred's office. Using Povich's work as his own would be easy, especially if Povich was dying in Boston. But to everyone's surprise, the doctor recovered. The elevated doors opened and Bucky stood in the fluorescent light. Jones rolled his eyes. I'm taking another car. Look, I'm sorry, coach. I'm sorry I burnt them notebooks. I thought it was all over. It is for you. Jones's cell phone sounded and he quickly moved into the elevator. 
I had the contents memorized. It wasn't the contents, Bucky. It was the signatures. He reached into his pocket between his gloves and pulled out the phone. Jones. Coach Jones? Yes, this is Coach Jones. This is Colleen Parker over at the infirmary. Yes, Colleen. We just want you to know that Peter just came in. His knee is swollen pretty bad. Swollen? Trouble. I knew it, said Bucky, shaking his head up and down. Quiet. What was that, Coach? Nothing, nothing. Let's get Peter to the sports medicine clinic in Prince William. Have someone call Dr. Tom Richards at the clinic. Is he all right? I mean, how is he doing? Well, he can't move his knee. The elevator door opened and Jones walked out. I'm on campus. I'll be there in a few minutes. Please call Dr. Richards at SMC. I will. Ah, new development, huh? Asked Bucky. He followed Jones through the building. No, one of my players injured his knees at the infirmary. Ah, Muriel works at the infirmary. What can I do to help? Disappear. Jones opened the door and walked ahead of Bucky into the cold air. Let me give you a ride, coach. Bucky, the infirmary is a hundred yards across the quadrangle. Jones hurried along the tall brick building. Bucky was still inside the science building as he crossed toward the three-story brick infirmary on the hill. He thought about Fred and whether he was watching from his office right now. Did he really prompt Tammy to lure Gallagher into the supermarket, and would he flee the area now? Without the notebooks, nothing could be proved. Jones entered the infirmary and brushed his feet on the mats. He moved up to the front desk where a large woman with stringy dark hair was stuffed into a white nurse's uniform. He slowly set down the phone. This woman was probably Bucky's sister. Peter, he's injured his knee. I just received a call, said Jones. Well, I never place no call. Well, if he's here, did anyone call the sports medicine clinic? What the hell is that? Just check admissions. He turned and gripped the counter as Bucky walked in the front door. Am I fated to have Bucky Driscoll following me? Tough thing about Tammy Walsh being killed. Yeah, it was. Jones kept his back to her. Where can I find Peter? I still don't see nothing. He's uh, under an assumed name. Jones stared at Bucky. His boots dripped melted snow onto the tiles. Bucky, tell your sister Peter is in here. Ah, she ain't my sister. Bucky pointed to the right down the corridor as a tall blonde woman in a white pantsuit moved between the rooms. Jones had seen her in attendance at some of the basketball games. Her brown eyes were stunning even at this distance and her wispy hair trailed down her shoulders. That's Muriel. You're kidding. Oh, here it is. He's in the first examining room, coach. Jones turned. Thank you. I'll have Muriel bring you down there. Hold on, said Bucky. Jones half grinned at the nurse behind the counter. I never would have put them together. Yeah, Lady Godiver and Humpty Dumpty. Bucky escorted his sister up the corridor. Coach, have you met my sister? Well, I talked to her on the phone. She smiled readily as she extended her soft hand. I've seen you at the games. You helped Tammy when she broke her ankle. Nice to meet you, Muriel. Nice to meet you, too. For a moment, Jones forgot one of his players was injured. Muriel motioned him forward. Listen, I can get you a seat behind the bench at the next game if you want. Oh, I would like that. Good, good. They rounded the corner and Peter, surrounded by his teammates, sat on the examining table with an ice pack on his knee. Out of action now, coach. I never should have played. Let's not worry about that now. Let's get you to the clinic. Did anybody call Tom Richards? Oh, he's on his way over here, said Muriel. Over here? Coach, this is my senior year. If I lose the season, it may be just a sprain. Let's not panic. 
Well, I hope so. What have you found out about Tammy? You know, if you guys hadn't been fooling around that supermarket, we never would have thought about the security camera. Did she really do it, Coach? Nobody can believe it, said Chet Barrows. Tammy did it. Why? That remains to be seen. Excuse me, boys. He stepped into the corridor. Maybe you and Muriel can go to the movies sometime. Muriel seemed embarrassed. Bucky. Well, maybe we can. Muriel smiled again. How about Saturday night after the game? Sure. Bucky rubbed his hands together. Ah, I knew you two would hit it off. Bucky, I'm still upset about those notebooks, said Jones, pointing at him. Well, maybe Tammy didn't have a boyfriend. She did, said Jones, leaning closer and whispering. Who signed the books at the end? Strickland and the cops would talk to either McCloskey or Agnes, and then we'll know. Huh? Bucky pictured Fred at the computer, then he turned to Muriel. Bucky has been helping me with the Povich murder investigation. And Tammy's death. Muriel's dark eyes grew moist. She was a nice girl. I talked to her quite a bit when they put the cast on her last week. What did she say? Oh, she was actually glad. I think she was sick of cheerleading. Sick of college. She was. Really? Did she talk about going back home to Maine? Asked Jones. No, but she seemed like one of those people who wanted something more out of life. You know, like people who have never had enough. I don't mean material things. No, I understand. Jones glanced back at his players, joking in the examining room. Hey, this is an infirmary, boys. Come on, keep it down. I helped load her in the van. Did it seem like she wanted to tell you something more? Asked Jones. Joe started laughing, and Jones stomped into the examining room. Last warning, I can play the Norwich game with the bench. Doesn't matter to me. Sorry, coach. Jones nodded, but as he turned, Muriel's words came back like a delayed wave off the ocean. What van? The maroon van at the back entrance. I called up front as they were wheeling her out. Maroon van? Who was driving that van? I don't know. I was pulled away. We had somebody come down in a sledding accident on the Falmouth Hill by the dorm. Jones looked at Bucky. Well, well, well. Maroon van. I guess my friend's lie about picking up his wife had an ulterior motive. Huh? Who would have a positive identity of that driver? Well, a couple of student nurses, I can get their names. It would be right on the log. Please, Muriel, I would appreciate it. What are we talking about now? Let's get all the chips on the coffee table, said Bucky. Cards. Cards? We're talking about Fred Dempsey. He picked up Tammy. Oh, he could be innocent. You know, he could have just helped her home. Jones turned and moved closer. You know, Bucky, if I had the notebooks, I might have the answer to all these questions. Bucky looked down and he put his hands in his pockets and shuffled back to the front desk. Then he walked out the door and Jones wished he had not been so brusque. He leaned against the infirmary window span. The beer trees and winter shadows fell across the quadrangle snow toward the science building. Fred's picking up Tammy would link her to him. It could merely be construed as a college professor helping the injured girl back to her dorm. Something substantial was needed to connect Fred with Povich's poisoning. He reached into his pocket and pulled out his cell phone, and then he headed outside. As he paced under the long infirmary canopy, he accessed the New York number for the Ruggle House Press. For the next few moments, he waded his way through a maze of department heads and managers. When he finally asked for Tibbetts, he was given a second number. The infirmary doors opened and Muriel stood with her arms folded across her chest. Coach, the girls are on duty tomorrow, but I called the dorm. They do verify that Professor Dempsey drove the van. He held her shoulders. Thank you, Muriel. Thank you. 
She smiled as she moved back inside. Jones dialed Tibbetts' number. The long-distance line slowly clicked and then rang. Jones paced away from the canopy and down the sloping walk under the trees. Mr. Tibbetts' office? Yes, my name is Nigel Kent. I'm calling from Hamilton College in New Hampshire. I need to speak with Mr. Tibbetts. Is he expecting your call? Well, I would think so, said Jones, rolling his eyes. He squinted into the massive orange sun hovering over the twisted tree branches near Crawford Hall. Again, he shook his head. Bucky's burning of the notebooks ruined the chances of proving plagiarism. Paul Tibbetts. Tibbetts was on a speakerphone. Yes, Mr. Tibbetts, this is Nigel Kent from Hamilton College. Oh, yes, Mr. Kent, yes. I have to compliment your professor, Dempsey. That Corona Borealis textbook will be both a brilliant work and a commercial success. I would think that would ally any work requirement concerns, and Mr. Dempsey will keep his job. Yes, we were worried about that. Everyone is required to produce relevant work in their field. Bucky stared at him through the infirmary doors. Of course. We need to convince Fred to begin working on a supplemental book. He's certainly capable of another great effort. Jones began to believe that Fred had exhausted all of Povich's material. But then again, let's just let the first book run its course. Ah, yes, Mr. Tibbetts. For our records, when did your collaboration with Fred begin? A star system. Yes, within the constellation Corona Borealis. Well, that's wonderful. We're so proud of Fred up here. Oh, by the way, we'd like to keep all of Fred's raw notes on the file. We have drafts of the manuscript, but no notes. If you can talk to him about that, Mr. Kent. Of course. And thank you for considering a Hamilton College professor, Mr. Tibbetts. How about a text on college sports? Tibbetts chuckled. Ha <laughs> I see you have a sense of humor. Uh, you have a good day of what's left with it, Mr. Kent. What's wrong with college sports, asked Jones. Right. Have a good day. Jones held out the phone. When he turned, he bumped into Bucky standing on the sidewalk. Coach, I have an idea. Bucky, it would be nice if you'd just let me know when you're going to be standing in back of me. The two men started up the walk toward the infirmary doors. You want to know my idea? Not particularly. Bucky looked down at the wet cement as they walked. All right, what's your idea? Did you find out when Fred Dempsey contacted the publisher? Valentine's Day. That's next week. Last year, Bucky. Jones opened the door and they went back into the warmer air. It coincides with the time that Povich was dying. They thought he was on the way out last February. Elsie McIntyre bought more artwork back then. They all thought the old man was going to croak, but Povich fooled them all. Muriel stood by the desk only ten feet away. Now we need to go back to the observatory, look for more notebooks, a computer disk, and prove that Dempsey stole Povich's work. Bucky, don't even think about it. I'm calling Herbert Lane. That's what I'm doing. Let him get the necessary court orders and grab all that stuff. Don't play the hero again. Bucky spoke with his lower jaw extended. Ah, it's my fault. I know I never should have burnt the evidence. You should be able to assign a motive to Dempsey. Maybe he would have cracked. Maybe, said Jones, looking at Muriel. It's all my fault. He turned and walked to the front door, still mumbling. 
Bucky means well, said Muriel. Jones tried to smile. I know the road to Hades is paved with good intentions. Well, he really has tried hard to solve this. Jones moved toward the desk. Maybe I can bring him out to dinner or something like that when this is all over. You know, acknowledge what he did. Well, not everything. Muriel smiled broadly. Bucky always wanted to be a policeman, just like my dad. But, well, you know, he just never would be. So he tries to act like he is. I'm sorry. I know the feeling. My dad was a detective. I'd probably do the same thing. Small world. Listen, about Saturday night. How about dinner after the game? And then the second feature at the cornucopia. I'll talk to you before the game about the arrangements, and thanks for your help with the van. I'll keep it confidential until this is over. Thanks. Talk to you later. Goodbye, Matthias. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 26 Herbert Lane walked briskly from the outer office. Well, Matthias, I think this is the first case that you and I actually have been on the same side. My staff is putting together a list of material for Judge Winthrop. Did you reach George in Portland? Lane sat behind his wide desk. Yes, I did. They have a statement from McCloskey's attorney. See, McCloskey was afraid that he'd be linked to Povich's murder. He was still in Portland. Fred Dempsey has been positively identified as the man who stayed at the Gorton Inn with Tammy Welch. Jones shook his head. All this just to keep his job. What do you mean? What, 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 what about his job? He feared losing his tenure because he didn't comply with the school's publication policy. He risked criminal proceedings is what he risked. Well, I suppose you're right, said Jones. Povich put the damper on the whole thing by surviving. Lane reached into his briefcase for more papers. At least Jim Gallagher is exonerated. Where is he? Well, I'm not at liberty to say, Herbert. Ah, he's with that lowlife Stefani. That lowlife helped solve this crime, said Jones. He stood and extended his hands. And you did too, Herbert. I thought I'd never say this, but thanks for working with me on this. Lane shook his hand without looking up. Yeah, well, just keep your nose clean until I can sweep Dempsey's offices in the house. We can't let him know we've got him. Agreed, said Jones, and his cell phone sounded. Matthias Jones. Matthias, this is Muriel Driscoll. It's Bucky. What about Bucky? Lane looked up from his paperwork. He's leaving now, backing his car out the driveway. He says he's going up to the observatory to get all of Professor Dempsey's work. Well, that could jeopardize everything. I know. Perhaps maybe we can talk to him. I'm in Prince William now. I'm on my way, said Jones. I'll pick you up. Thank you. Oh, what is it, Jones? What is it? Asked Lane, moving around the desk. He followed Jones to the door. What about Driscoll? What? 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 Jones turned to the door. He's giving my team another strategy meeting for the game tomorrow afternoon. Jones? He shouted as Jones ran for the elevators. Jones, this is just another one of your old tricks. I'll have men follow you. Jones rushed inside the elevator as Lane rumbled out of his office. Jones, don't push me. Jones cupped his fingers and waved. You have a nice evening, Herbert, now, won't you? Bucky's entering the observatory could ruin all hope of obtaining relevant trial evidence. Jones picked up Muriel and moved quickly through town and up Route 7 to the north. The case would be stronger once Strickland firmly linked Fred to the weekends away with Tammy in Portland. 
Bucky just doesn't know where to draw the line. That's been his problem all his life, said Muriel. Jones's cell phone sounded. Yeah. Mr. Kent, this is Cy Tibbetts in New York. I've been unable to reach Professor Dempsey. I was wondering if you could do a favor for me. Be glad to, said Jones. Professor Dempsey needs to reschedule the appointment he canceled with us last week. Oh, I thought he was in New York. Well, he said he needed some time to do some work at the school. What? I hope I didn't get him into trouble, but we have papers to sign. Oh, no problem. I will let him know. Excellent, excellent. Good evening. Jones downshifted at the town's golf course and accelerated near the entrance to the Fletcher estate. Matthias, you look like you've seen a ghost. Fred Dempsey was not in New York when Tammy Welch was killed. You think he... Sure he did. Oh, dear God. As Jones gripped the wheel, past a series of snow-coated grazing fields, a spinning yellow light cut through the darkness near the entrance to Mount Polaris. He slowed at the turn. The huge Dewar's lumber truck's engine grunted loudly as the wide yellow plow trimmed the snowbanks. The truck bucked back and forth almost recklessly. Oh, no, not Arnie Dewar's. Who is Arnie Dewar's? asked Muriel. Muriel, you just don't want the answer to that question. Jones veered to the left, and the truck almost hit his Jeep. Arnie, cigarette jutting from his mouth, jammed on the brakes, and the truck slid on the snow and ice. He pushed back his glasses up his long nose and rolled down the truck window. What is this, old home week, Matthias? Arnie, you're blocking my way. I need to get to the top. I have important business. Yeah, right. Arnie left the huge truck running and stepped out of the cab. He walked around to Jones's open window and stared at Muriel. Come up here to do uh, a little skiing? <laughs> what I came up here for was to look for Bucky Driscoll. Did he come by here? Ooh, the Buckster? Yeah, Bucky Driscoll. Jones looked at the truck and the pile of snow blocking the entrance. Hey, I hear he solved the Povich murder, huh? Well, I don't know if that's true, Arnie. Look, I really have to get up to the observatory. Bucky giving you a little competition, huh? Arnie moved his elbow into Jones's shoulder. Tough having another uh, gumshoe in town. Move that damn truck, will you? Hey, for a guy about to have a little fun and games, you're in a bad mood. Arnie, smarten up and move the truck. Aren't we in a testy mood tonight? You're as bad as Professor Dempsey. Jones turned to his left. Fred Dempsey is here? Sure. He came up about 15 minutes ago, right before Bucky. I need to get up there now, Arnie. Hold your horses! Hold your horses! He held out the cigarette. Let me finish this butt. Jones pushed open his jeep door and Arnie leaped back. Arnie threw his cigarette into the snowbank and ran for his open truck door. Jones closed the jeep door and shifted into first gear. Before Arnie had fully backed up, Jones spun by and the jeep bounced over the piled snow until he hit bare pavement on the incline. Arnie had cleared a wider swath along the road. But as he rose higher in elevation, Jones worried about Bucky and what he might say to Fred. Fred might flee if he felt threatened, or he might even attack Bucky. The lights of Hamilton along Route 7 first came into view. Then he saw the town and lighted church steeple within the valley darkness beyond the cliff escarpment, and the glow of the Prince William lights silhouetted the Devonshire hills. Jones was after a man who had murdered twice. All the feelings of friendship for Fred disappeared, with thoughts of the quarry and Tammy's submerged car. 
He brought the jeep to a crawl near a thin guardrail separating the curb from the bare road. The jeep zoomed through the open gate and into the forest. The white dome rose in the headlights glare over the snow-coated trees. Jones shifted and moved up the final slope. Fred's van was parked at an angle to the cinder block building and Bucky's campus security car was parallel to the entrance. Jones slipped off his lights and slowly steered the jeep to the side. Muriel, maybe you should stay in the jeep. I can't. Bucky's my brother. Jones nodded and they left the jeep. He took her hand and his heart beat loudly against his parker as they trekked across the snow along the cinder block wall. They slipped along the blocks toward the yellow light in the alcove entrance. He extended his hand to the steel knob and twisted it carefully. I hope Bucky stays low-keyed. Well, don't count on it, she whispered. He pulled open the heavy door slowly. Immediately, he heard Bucky's voice reverberating as he pulled the door shut. You didn't care who you hurt. Shut up. You have nothing. Jones has nothing. The police have nothing. I'm bringing you in, buddy, said Bucky, and Jones closed his eyes. You tell your story to the blue boys. I don't recognize your authority. Well, I'll use this gun. Bucky, gasped Muriel. Jones ran forward. Bucky held out a gun atop the observation platform. Bucky! Fred, still in his coat, held a briefcase and looked down at Jones. Thanks a lot, Matthias. Put the gun down, Bucky. Nah, I'm taking him in. He's a murderer. I haven't done anything wrong, shouted Fred. You people have drawn erroneous conclusions. You shacked up with Tammy Welch in Maine. We have proof. I've only been to Maine twice in my life. Liar, shouted Bucky as he moved the gun around. You pushed her. You made her dump her father's medication into that lettuce. Your murderer was Tammy Welch. Don't drag me into this. Oh, yeah? Well, your signature is on the guest book at the Gorton Inn, said Jones. He moved closer to the staircase. It matches your writing in Dr. Povich's notebook margins, written in red ink. Well, that might be incriminating, Matthias, if Bucky hadn't burnt the books. You told him? asked Jones, looking up. Well, I, uh... Oh, Bucky, you people have nothing on me. Maybe I used some of Sergi's notes, but so what? I didn't murder anybody. Muriel stepped forward. Bucky, the gun isn't the answer. I talked to Tippett's in New York, Fred. You never went to New York. Jones turned to Bucky. Put the gun down, Bucky. What are you, nuts? The coach knows the legal ramifications of this, don't you, coach? Let him go, Bucky. Bucky slowly lowered the gun and Fred smiled. You two should leave this to the professionals. From the doorway, George Strickland's voice boomed around the observatory. He did leave it to the professionals, Professor. Fred's eyes opened wide as he looked down from the platform. Strickland moved forward with Kevin Phillips and four Prince William police officers. I don't understand this at all. Well, Mr. McCloskey does, said Strickland. The emotion drained from Fred's face. And so does Agnes Norton. Lies, said Fred. Nope. I have a warrant for your arrest, Professor, said Strickland. Tammy Welch told Agnes Norton of your relationship. Well, that doesn't make me a murderer. Strickland removed his hat as he moved next to Jones. McCloskey knows how you and Tammy stole her father's medication and ground it up in the lettuce. He knows about your little book deal and how you were confronted by Povich right here, four days before he was poisoned. You have no proof of anything. 
Strickland pulled out an audio cassette and held it in the air. McCloskey covered himself, but he got more than he bargained for. Fred tightened his brow. He swung his briefcase upward toward Bucky's arm. The gun tumbled across the grid platform, and Bucky winced and held his wrist. Ah! Fred dropped the briefcase and pushed Bucky. Strickland and the officers ran toward the elevator and the staircase. He has the gun, shouted Muriel. She held Jones tightly. As Bucky shook his wrist, as Bucky shook his wrist, Fred descended from behind and wrapped his arm around Bucky's neck. Strickland and the officers froze below as Fred pushed the gun against Bucky's skull. I will kill him! Hey, do something! cried Bucky, his mouth drooping. Help me! Help me! Oh, Bucky! Muriel gripped Jones's coat. Let him go! Everyone, over to the side, by the officers. One more aggressive move and he dies. Do as he says, said Strickland. Jones and Muriel moved with the contingent next to the wall. Fred stepped into the open elevator, kept the gun to Bucky's head, and started toward the ground level. His mouth was folded down and his eyes glazed and darting. Jones took one step forward. Fred, what are you going to do? You let me worry about that. The elevator whined to a stop. Fred, his arm locked around Bucky and gun at his head, shuffled across the concrete. His pasty face contrasted with his dark, glassy eyes. As he backed toward the outside door, set within the cinder block, Muriel gripped Jones's parker. The door closed and Strickland grabbed his radio as they all ran toward the front door. Tully, get a cruiser over to the base of Mount Polaris. Fred Dempsey is holding Bucky Driscoll at gunpoint. I hear you, George, said Tully on a scratchy transmission. Wendell, somewhere around there. Kevin Phillips was next to Jones. We can't pressure him. Let's just keep him at a distance and somehow we get in contact with him. Bucky should have just stayed out of this, said Muriel. Jones leaned toward the side window. Fred's singular headlight shone against the building. He has Bucky driving. Kevin Phillips raised his gun near the door. Tell me when he's turned the lot. The van slid on the ice and began a huge arc around the mountain road. Now, Kevin. Wendell. Yo, I'm on my way, George. Strickland followed them outside. Jones held Muriel through the open door and they stood under the stars. Wendell, where are you now? Coming up Route 7 by the golf course, George. They started across the observatory parking lot as the van's one headlight shone on the guardrail ahead. Through the trees, down through the slope, the yellow flashing light from Arnie Duiz's truck shone like a strobe through the woods. The truck engine strained and Arnie ground the gears as he sliced the snowbank against the woods. Bucky brought the van along the circular guardrail and accelerated down the hill. Almost immediately, the tires squealed against the bare pavement, but the van hit an icy spot. Muriel screamed as the doer's truck veered up the embankment, and Fred's van spun like a top toward the guardrail. It flipped once and disappeared into the night. Jones grasped Muriel's hand as they ran across the, as they ran across the lot. An exploding fireball briefly flashed against the dark sky and rocked the cliffs. Jones jumped the inner rail onto the road and ran ahead of the others. Hundreds of feet below, almost on Route 7 itself, the van was engulfed in a sharp yellow fire. Jones, his mouth open, leaned on the guardrail. Muriel soon grabbed him and cried into his parker. On the radio, window called for fire backup. Tully, one big burn! His cruiser was less than a half a mile from the van on Route 7. Hey, the guy only had one light! said Arnie, approaching Strickland. It's not your fault, Arnie. Jones shook his head as the cruiser slowed about a hundred yards away now. 
Come on, Muriel, let's get out of here. Jones looked Strickland in the eye and glanced at Kevin Phillips, but he heard a muffled voice as he turned. He looked back over the guardrail. Through the crushed bushes and the packed snow near the edge of the cliffs, Bucky Driscoll lay on his back in the indistinct light and mumbled incoherently. Oh, God, I must be dead. I must be dead. I know I must be dead. One rolled to his left and he would careen over the cliffs. Jones leaped the guardrail and gripped the first spruce, bending it. His body fell forward and sprang back. He grabbed a second tree and moved closer to the sprawl Bucky, but the snow-packed cliffs angled up too steep for him to move forward. The lights of Hamilton twinkled in the distance, and the van's flames still burned below. Strickland was a few feet behind with Karen Phillips. Let us hold your ankles, Matthias. Do it! Jones knelt down, his body at an angle as he held the tree. Once they grabbed his ankles, he edged down the snow slope above the cliffs. He dared not say anything to startle Bucky. Using his elbows, he picked his way through the snow and clamped his hands around Bucky's wrist. Bucky seemed unconscious, still whimpering, but he started squirming. His body whipped around, but Jones held him tight. Bring me back! Bucky babbled as they reeled Jones up the slope and the other officers descended upon him. They dragged the two men over the guardrail and onto the pavement. Oh, Bucky, thank God, cried Muriel, hugging him. Muriel, what am I doing here? I've asked that question a dozen times myself, George, Jones whispered to Strickland. My arm, my arm, Bucky sat up, holding his arm, and without his glasses looked around the observatory parking lot. His constrained voice indicated a lot of pain, but he managed to smile. Well, coach, looks like I'm alive to live another day. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Epilogue Jones walked from the locker room with Duff Davis. Muriel, talking with Father Gallagher, waved him from the empty bleachers. Coco seemed annoyed listening to Bucky talk about the cast over his broken arm. Jones patted Duff on the shoulder. You did a good job tonight, Duff. You keeping score, coach? Just take it one game at a time there, kid. You're getting help. That's what's important. You'll be back. Well, at least we beat Bonneville State. Yes, we did. Jones patted him on the back, and he joined his teammates by the door. Coco saw Jones as he moved away from Bucky. Listen, Jonesy, I've reached my limit here with Mr. Plaster of Paris. He keeps it up, and his head will be in a cast. He practically tried to coach the whole game. Jones extended his hand. Thanks for your help up in Maine and keeping Jim safe. Hey, no problem, man. I told you a long time ago, Jonesy. You're on my good side. You got no problem. Coco opened his dark eyes and grinned. You want to bring Bucky's sister there, the babe, to Club Max, Jonesy? No, we're going to the movies downtown. Movies? You know, she's a queen. And Bucky, he ought to be up in the belfry. Coco turned to his left as Bucky stood in his blue security guard coat, holding his belt loops and talking to a few of the townspeople. I'm out of here. Me too. Yeah, Dempsey told me he called McIntyre to get a ride for Duff Davis. Get him right near that rectory. What is your background? asked one of the townspeople. I work the streets in New York. Coco leaned over. Yeah, he's probably picking up trash. Father Gallagher and Muriel wandered across the gym floor. Hey, Coco, we all laughed, but if it wasn't for Bucky, this case still might be open. Yeah, that's right. 
Next, I'm going to find Professor McIntyre and all that art crap. Forget it, Bucky. Strickland called me. They located McIntyre in New Jersey. Yeah, trying to unload the goods in Hoboken, said Coco as he faced Gallagher. You want to ride back to Prince William, Father? Well, I suppose I better get back. They're actually letting me back in the pulpit tomorrow. You know, Jim, when this first began, said Jones, I wasn't quite sure. Neither was I, said Gallagher, and everyone laughed. Jones studied Muriel's long blonde hair against her white acrylic sweater. What do you say, Muriel? How about some dinner in the movies? Well, that would be great. Now you behave yourself there, coach, said Bucky. Muriel should be in by ten and no hanky-panky. Jones winced. He looked at Gallagher and Gallagher nodded. Coco hoisted Bucky upward under one arm and Gallagher lifted him under the other arm. Bucky kept talking as they transported him toward the gym doors. You have a nice night, Jonesy. Yes, good night, Matthias. Jones laughed as they disappeared out the gym doors. He turned to Muriel and she took his arm. So, Muriel! Ah, it lasts peace and quiet. Jones put his arm around Muriel midway through the feature presentation. They were tucked away in the balcony near the exit sign. The acting in this new movie about the 60s was stilted and the plot was going nowhere. If he hadn't brought Muriel, he probably would have left a half an hour ago. He wondered what she was thinking about the movie. If the guy on the motorcycle was any dumber, he would have told the cops where they were staying. Well, I thought he was pretty dumb when he tried to outrun that cop in the yellow Volkswagen. Jones smiled and he was out of gas. Bucky always runs out of gas. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Jones tried not to think about Bucky. All during the game that night, Bucky had thrown in his advice on how to beat Bonneville State. Matthias, do you think Bucky overstepped his bounds during the Povich murder case? Jones, his arms securely around her, and with thoughts of kissing her, did not want to answer the question. Well, we all worked hard. He really wanted to track down Elsie McIntyre. Oh, I'm sure he would have given it that old college try. Jones leaned closer and was about to kiss her neck. Then again, I don't want him getting hurt, Jones sat up. Well, none of us would want that, and he did write the reference for your basketball player. Jones retracted his arm and looked up at the movie. He exhaled and dipped his hand back into the popcorn box. Yes, he's quite a guy. So are you. She turned and kissed him. Jones dropped the popcorn box on the floor. She kissed him for well over 15 seconds, and when they broke, she smiled. So, what do you think of that? I thought I was going to run out of air. Then I'd be dead. Jones felt a tap on his shoulder and he turned. Bucky, with his legs crossed and an extra large popcorn bucket resting on his cast, turned. He smiled and motioned toward the screen. Don't worry, coach. You're not dead. You're alive to live another day. Hope you enjoyed The Strange Death of Dr. Povich, Matthias Jones series by Robert P. Fitton. Next time, I'm sticking with Jones. This one is called The Club Max Murder and involves a Sherlock Holmes buff and one of Jones' star football players. Hey, Fitton is heading for a little downtime at Club Max. We'll take care of him. I'll talk to you. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.